Welcome to The Good, The Bad, and The Science, the show that breaks down the science of television and movies with a comedian and a scientist. Today we're discussing Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. So I'll ask about flexible buses and shrunken heads and werewolves and much more, but first, a short word from our sponsor. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Ethan Edinburgh, and I've got two wonderful guests joining me today. Our first guest is a developmental biologist and author of Lab Math and co-author of Ahead of the Curve, and she's our resident Harry Potter specialist. Welcome back to the show, Dr. Danny Spencer-Adams. Thank you. I am delighted to be here. Yes, I'm delighted uh, that you're back again and joining me on this magical wizarding uh, Harry Potter journey. Uh, we're watching them together. We watched the first two for the first time together. So I assume this is your first time watching Harry Potter 3, The Prisoner of Azkaban. Uh, I'll say it is. Certainly when I was paying this close attention. And oh, I liked so you it have seen it before. I had kind of seen this one a long time ago because it's Ooh. said to be one of the best. So I thought I really learned, should learn something. But, I, you know, this time was just a whole different emotional connection. So great. OK, well, then we have a lot to talk about. I definitely enjoyed the movie. Um, so I hope that it's one of the best. That's great. And um, I have to before we dive into everything magical, introduce our next guest. Is that OK with you, Danny? Uh, OK, yeah. Okay, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> he is a writer, actor, improviser. You might know from The Good Place, Crashing, and much more. Welcome to the show, Ross Bryant. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm so excited to delve into um, the wizarding world. Yes. Uh, I, I think, and, and despite, I feel like I, I come with, uh, with some uh, dork credentials when it comes to uh, fantasy stuff, but... Um, for whatever reason, Harry Potter totally passed me by. I, I have my my main exposure to the Harry Potter universe is the uh, is the ride at Universal Studios. <laughs> <laughs> I've 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 neither experienced the books nor nor the movies. So this is a this is a wild ride. Okay, awesome. I you're making me feel so much better because for a man of your caliber to say that I I 
had also completely missed all of Harry Potter dumb in its entirety. And so because of this podcast, I'm now on the third movie. And here we are. Great. Um, and I'm enjoying them. I got to say, I'm having a good time. I, I, I should have I should have uh, been on board all this time. Right. It hits all these sweet spots. I'm like a, <laughs> I'm like a huge Anglophile. I love things that take place place in uh, in in schools um, and, and have like like kind of roll doll vibes. So yeah. it's only it's only now um, t my my stubbornness that's keeping me from fully diving in. So this this perhaps is my key into the Potterverse. I'm happy to bring you in, and I I don't maybe it was my stubbornness as well that kept me from it, or like that that thing of like oh green day is too big now so i'm not about them anymore when it's like no i love green day this whole time stop being a schmuck like they're great harry potter's yeah. great just get into it harry potter's a little mainstream i'm actually into his dark materials <laughs> right exactly um okay so before we get into it uh I i'm a big fan of yours ross i'm 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 pals with some of your pals uh including jessica mckenna and zach reno and and nick mondernock oh. and so i know you know oh, yes. what's coming I've seen you perform live as a member of Every Place I Cry. Oh. <laughs> and I have, I just, I tell a lot of people about you guys and that they have to go see you. But can you tell the listeners a little bit of, of what that is and maybe how it came about? Of course. Um, so Every Place I Cry is a... Now, now buckle up because this is a this is a a, a complex conceptual ride. Uh, Every Place I Cry is a all improvised four lead singer emo band <laughs> um, <laughs> where we perform all our shows in character as uh, as four um emo kids who had a who had a semi-successful emo band in the early 2000s and every show is our reunion <laughs> last show <laughs> until our next one we take we take uh, requests from the audience um for hit songs which we improvise on the spot with a live band and and we try to maintain some sense of character and canon continuity show to show, which which becomes increasingly insane. Um, but uh, but uh, I, uh, yeah, uh, it's 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 very very fun. And the way it came about was um, the the four of us do music did uh, do musical improv together at the Upright Citizens Brigade here in L.A. And once just. Um, after a show, we're just kind of like uh, fooling around, singing made up emo type songs. And it was that kind of thing where we all just kind of looked at each other and we're like, is this a show? And and sometimes if you try hard enough, you can force your stupidest backstage bits on stage and make them work. <laughs> well, you guys absolutely do make it work. It's uh, much like uh, Harry Potter, even though I missed it, it. It checks a lot of the boxes for me personally. Um, it's just everything that I love combined into one thing. And uh, anyways, I, I really appreciate it and appreciate you coming on. And I also have to ask about the Improvised Shakespeare Company. I read that you have been a part of that since the like conception of it since the start is that scientifically accurate um perhaps not exactly scientifically accurate it existed in some small iteration for maybe like uh, six months before it kind of got um taken apart and re put back together but it, when it began at the uh, io theater in chicago way back when i was in the first cast of it so i've been 
I've been in since since that jump. Got you. Okay. Wow. Well, um, I mean, maybe you want to give people a, a quick summation of what that is. I I, I know what it is, but uh, but it's again much like every place I cry, uh, conceptually unbelievable to me. It sounds like the kind of thing that like doesn't exist. Like it, it sounds like something you would just talk about after a show, and yet it's an incredibly successful uh, performing adventure. That's very kind of you to say. We um so the the premise of this one is maybe a little bit more simple. We, um, a cast of actors comes on stage. We ask the audience for the suggestion of a made-up title of a play. And then we perform that play in the style of Shakespeare for about 90 minutes. Um, it's unbelievable. There's no real structure beyond that. And, um, and I realize, I f- I'm sure to a lot of people, that sounds like it would be very uh, annoying. <laughs> but, but I promise... <laughs> I, 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 this is a show that I feel like is a very hard first sell, but a, a very easy second sell. Um, I, it's, it's, uh, we really, we really do commit to doing our homework for it. And we really try to, to, to get the language as, as, as ornate and, uh, Shakespeare-esque as, as possible. And, and it is truly maybe the most creatively fulfilling thing in my life. Yeah, I could totally see how how it is. I mean, it's it's I mean, it's truly it's like a magic show almost. Um but I mean, what what does that homework entail? I mean, are you like just are are do you perform Shakespeare plays like legitimately and then bring that knowledge to these shows? Are you just reading the plays? I mean, I it just it seems like there's an abundance of of research that has to go into these performances. There was a time when we really diligently began to um, bone up on it. I think when we first started, we were maybe the kind of more annoying version of the show that you that you might have had in your head. Uh, the um, A lot of words ending in eth. And that's about the end of it. But we really then began to buckle down and we kind of made our way reading through the canon. And at the time, uh, the director of the show, Blaine, was getting his uh, PhD in philosophy at Loyola in in Chicago. And he had a colleague in the philosophy department who was teaching a seminar on Shakespeare. And he just um, asked this guy if he'd be interested in hanging out with us ding-dongs every now and then. So for about a year... We participated in what was essentially a college-level Shakespeare seminar with this philosophy professor as we read through the plays, um, and that sort of provided the foundation uh, moving forward as we kind of began to really appreciate it and 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 dive into it and realize part of the fun of the show is that like, and when you engage with the plays, what you realize is no matter how weird our improvised shows get, um, the plays are weirder. Like there's. <laughs> There's so many wild and weird things in these plays that you maybe don't get on first gloss. Um, like in in a Cymbeline. There's literally uh, one of the stage directions is like enter Jupiter astride an eagle. Um, like, um, uh, That's th- very Harry Potter. When it, very Harry Potter. Very hippogriff. And um, uh, and uh, like uh, in Henry the Sixth Part Two, which is uh, a play I'd recommend to anyone if you want like. That's that I feel like is a very little red, little scene play because you have to kind of do a little like War of the Roses homework to make it at all coherent. Mm. But <laughs> once you do, it's packed with just like totally nuts stuff. In that play, uh, a a a uh, a couple uses a witch to conjure a demon in order to help 
um, the political career of one of them. Uh, <laughs> there's a peasants' rebellion where two people are beheaded; their heads are put on on pikes, and then the crowd makes the heads kiss. Oh, <laughs> it's, it's nuts! Um, Wild. Our greatest poet, the Swan of Avon, and this kind of stuff <laughs> happens in them. So. So yeah, we so reading the plays at one, it, it made us just you know like like anybody I think who engages with Shakespeare makes you awestruck at just the 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 beautiful and and uh, enigmatic poetry of them. But it also makes you realize like oh yeah, these are just packed with jokes and and packed with weirdness and packed with violence that verges on body horror <laughs> and like it's and it's fun to kind of play in that in that sandbox well i'm glad that you do play and i implore anyone listening to go check it out um it's truly unreal and the same thing with with every place i cry everyone needs to experience it i don't care what music you like get into it um and uh um, I, have and, to, I have to say here i have i have instantly become a huge fan and i was not asked to ask this question but can you tell me how i can find these things on the web for those of us who aren't in where you are um well every place the um a couple of the uh every place i will occasionally do um remote shows on online and ah, you can find okay. us us performing as a unit on two of the other members who are already uh mentioned uh jess mckenna and zach reno have a wonderful podcast where they perform improvised musicals um called off book and w the band every place i cry has sort of been a quote-unquote guest on that podcast a few okay. times that's that's probably the best way to to hear what we do well, um, when you. it comes to improvised shakespeare company we perform in la at the largo but we also we also go on tour in the days of covid um it's we're we're just now seeing the light at the end of the tunnel we may we have our first um, road gig on the books for December in, in Washington, D.C., and hopefully there'll be more to come after that. So if we ever come to your neck of the woods, please, please look us up. I will. And uh, I remain starstruck. <laughs> Good. Well, keep that sustained for uh, the next uh, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, um, because uh, we're going to be talking about Harry Potter um, right after this break. The break is over. Here we go, back to the show about science. Okay, we're back. We're talking about Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Um, now, from what I understood, Ross, you you did not see the first two, and you just saw this one. Is that correct? Out of context. Out <laughs> of context. It's all pretty weird to me. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, you might have more um, questions than I do then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I feel free to just move through this thing, and we'll just kind of take take things as they come. It's man, hell's a hell's a poppin' at uh, at Hogwarts. Yeah, that's um, for sure. And by the way, that's definitely nothing new. Pretty much every time we visit Hogwarts, uh, it's going down. Death is around the corner. Um, but I mean, what did you think about the movie? You know, even though you, I'm, I'm sure certain things might have like gone past you, but I mm. hope that you still enjoyed it. Yeah, I actually I really liked how kind of dark and gothy it was. Mm -hmm. um, Alfonso Cuaron is a director I know from 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 other things. Um, and I thought, yeah, it was very, uh, very beautiful. Yeah, actually, yeah, he, he was he's the director of Roma, right? If I'm not mistaken, and children, um, I may be I may be wrong. Um, in any case, yeah, it's that, that it was that it was I was surprised at how at how kind of uh, pretty it was. And um, and, you know, I'll have a good and, you know, I'll have a good weird werewolf. <laughs> a good werewolf, you said. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I also just uh, I also just love the idea of um, of like a wizard of a wizard prison. Um, right. Yes. <laughs> 
Azkaban. Uh, and he did. Uh, direct Roma, Gravity, Children of Men, Itumama Tambien. Uh, the dude's a super genius. And yeah, I mean, I, I love the look of this movie too. But let's go top down because there's a, there's a as usual, the Harry Potter movies for some reason <laughs> start with him at home. Uh, <laughs> they keep keeps it's a terrible place and yet i really i hope that the other movies don't start this way as well because it seems insane to me that he keeps going back to such a terrible place to live it's such a trope of like ya literature too of like um i mean harry potter is is the very like capital v capital s capital b very special boy who is unappreciated by <laughs> by by everyone um it was very matilda to yes. me um I think even the the uh, Marge who gets uh, full up with helium, which I want to ask about, Danny, uh, <laughs> was in Matilda. I think she was the trunchable. Oh yeah, I'm pretty sure. Oh, I have to see Matilda. I I love English um, comedy and stuff, so I've seen her in other things. But Matilda sounds mm. like a must see. Yeah, but I guess if we're if we're taking this um, like science point by science point, like. Um, how likely is it that I will fill up with helium and float away in, into the sky? Uh, very unlikely, actually. Um, <laughs> Weird. <laughs> I would not worry about that. I can reassure you about that. Um, my reaction to that was, didn't they do that in Willy Wonka? Yeah, it's, it's, it's the fizzy lifting drink. <laughs> yes. Yeah, one girl turns into a blueberry because she eats too much. Yeah, more roll doll. Yeah, wow. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, hey, yeah. all great art steals from other great art. So that part makes sense to me. Um, <laughs> I, I, I guess I thought it was strange that she, like, number one, he doesn't use a wand or anything. It seems like there's always some sort of, like, incantation or, like, he has to use a wand. or But, but he just kind of thinks about this and she fills up with helium and kind of floats away. But um, well, do you know? he's maturing. You know, he's hit ah. a puberty at this point. So he has new powers. Gotcha. That's right. Um, if anybody here is a Dungeons and Dragons player, then they know that casting spells requires somatic components, things you say, um, or, or things you do, uh, verbal components, things you say, and material components, mm. stuff you have, like wands. So this just shows that he's kind of a wild sorcerer who's just capable of making making magic without those things. Yeah. 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 What did you call him? The VSB. He's the he's very special. <laughs> he's a very yeah. special boy. He's Neo. Yeah, exactly. He's the one. Yeah. He's super powerful. Um, although there are certain there was a moment which I thought was funny where the werewolf, uh, the Professor Lupin, I believe, who turns into a werewolf, is attacking <laughs> um, Hermione and Harry, and they both just like grimace they both just like prepare for impact when they're super powerful wizards <laughs> oh yes <laughs> which i thought was great and then like literally five minutes later she does some sort of spell which like blows open this prison gate it's like okay so yeah. maybe you could have shot that at the wolf i don't know people uh, in action movies people in action movies always kind of forget that they can that they can uh blow away the bad guy until until the end of the third act when like the right. power of love or friendship sort of reminds them that they can <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so we, I, I assume, cannot fill up with helium. Our bodies just wouldn't allow us, or... Um, it wouldn't, but there are some pretty cool fish that do it. I don't know if you've ever watched a blowfish blow itself up. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. They're hilarious. They, um, the little ones I'm thinking of, um, first of all, if you look at them face on, they have little smiles. But they, they just, like... They they like grimace like they're they're trying really hard and they go 
and they blow up a little bit and then they do it again and blow up a little bit more and do it again and do it blow it up a little bit more and then they end up these just these big balls with fins wow so there it's it's very fun to watch if you can find a movie of them they're really hilarious looking i grew up on the east coast and i think i've actually i have actually uh, or my dad caught one and oh. and yeah as a kid it's hours or well not hours of fun but like just <laughs> minutes of fun yeah i was i was a sick twisted kid just watching this watching this fish go through its death throes um no but uh but to watch a puffer fish is like a very surreal and alien thing to to kid eyes and to and to adult eyes frankly they're um, fantastic. yeah they're yeah. very cool and it's you know they know they're inedible so they're just very calm and they just okay um, i'm just gonna blow myself up and uh, that's a, that a calm confidence is a there calm confidence I, I, one of the issues I had with this scene, I guess, is that like, I know that our skin is somewhat flexible, stretchable, you know, we, mm-hmm. we can do some crazy things, but obviously not to this extent, but a blowfish is a good example of an animal that can super stretch out. Yeah. Are there others that come to mind? Um, that's stretchy. Uh, well, Sharpays, but that's different. They just have a lot of extra skin. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever um, seen an ironed out Sharpay? <laughs> <laughs> I assume one of your uh, research yeah. papers was just ironing out Sharpays, no? Yeah. <laughs> well, I tell you, I have blown up worms. That was like one of the first things I ever did. Uh, <laughs> why would you do that? <laughs> well, actually, oh, just fun. now that you mention it, I was actually very interested in um, these are little tiny nematode worms. And they're actually just tiny little water balloons. And the water is under a lot of pressure. And I was trying to figure out what it was about the skin of the worm um, that allowed it to be under such high pressure hmm. and still move and um, and grow in a very particular way. And so what I did was I, I put them in a water solution, so a solution that had fewer ions and other things in it so that the worm would kind of take them up and, and blow up, and I would watch how... Um, you know, swell up like inflating a balloon, and I would watch how the shape changed, and wow. figure out how what it was about the skin that would cause it to sh- change shape in that particular way. But uh, my roommate at the time said, "You're blowing up worms again, aren't you?" <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I mean, I assume none of them actually blew up and exploded and were killed. Uh, not the worms I worked with, no. Okay, good. I just wanted to make sure. Yeah. No, people I, didn't... I relieved them. Yeah, I I took away the pressure. This was responsible worm inflation. These are the worms yeah. that are very... Sorry, I missed that. So what did you say? No, just you, you exercise responsible worm inflation. And, um... <laughs> I, I try. I try. Nice. Um, well, that's great. Um, there's also, in this same scene, we're talking about uh, Marge, this horrible woman, um, because yes. we didn't have enough horrible yeah. adults, so we, they had to throw in another <laughs> one. Um, let's uh, a, a, their dog drink brandy. And I needed, I have to ask, is that okay? I assume we should avoid that. Not okay. It is so not okay. Right. Brandy is like the most, the the strongest, has the most alcohol. Um, Now, that said, my dog recently ate a half a pound of cream cheese. And it had... (laughs) Why did you leave out a half a pound of cream cheese? Can I ask about that? You know, I, I was I was actually letting it go to room temperature so I could make cheesecake, which I think is a really good reason. Yeah, and I thought I had pushed it. I thought I had pushed it far enough away from the edge, 
uh, and I had not. But she had no reaction. You know, we went on the web and we're like, oh my God, there's going to be terrible consequences. Absolutely nothing. She was completely fine. So I think, and you know, you've seen those stories about people who have bring their dog to the pub and let them drink beer and they're fine. So it's all dog specific. But Mm. having said that, the responsible thing to say is never, ever give your dog alcohol. Got it. It's they don't have, um, it's actually kind of interesting evolutionarily because they don't have the enzymes to digest the alcohol. And mm-hmm. humans only developed those enzymes recently. It's a recent evolutionary development that we can drink without it just being toxic. So, Whoa. so wait, what happened to humans prior to the enzyme evolution that were drinking alcohol? Um, I don't actually know at what point in our evolution it appeared, mm. um, but presumably they, it was, you know, they probably could have a little bit like spiders. Spiders can drink. Um, okay, back up. They, hold on, hold on. <laughs> and then somebody died from it and they stopped trying. Okay. That's my so, guess. You cannot give Hennessy to your dog, but you can Correct. to your spider. That is absolutely 100%. So wait, why do spiders have the enzyme to consume alcohol? <laughs> Well, they get drunk. I know that. I don't know. I mean, presumably you can just metabolize it and get rid of it somehow, even if you don't have alcohol dehydrogenase, which is the name of the enzyme. Um, but there's just the spiders apparently will go and find rotting fruit and get some of the ethanol from that. And then they and they wow. do all the, you know, the the typical or stereotypical human things. They'll stagger home, you know. There's oh one God. wonderful video of you know, the female spider popping her head up, seeing the male spider staggering home, and she basically locks the door against him, won't let him in back into the... Wow. The, uh, <laughs> just a real Andy Cap scenario. Um, very much. That's, very that's much. great. I remember seeing, there. there's like this, uh, like an infographic, I remember seeing that, I don't know what scientists did this, but it was, it's like a graph of, an image of of four or five different spider webs of spider webs that spiders, I guess, spun under the influence of different substances. Right. Yes, I, I found a great it. Now. Yeah, and it's like one one normal one under the influence of cannabis, one under caffeine, uh, one under mm-hmm. uh, LSD, and uh, and you can really kind of psychoanalyze these spiders by looking at their by looking at their <laughs> webs. Um, the caffeine one in particular is like, yeah, that's what it feels like. Um, it's very, <laughs> it's all over the place and very disorderly, but clearly a lot of work went into it. It's a lot of oh yes, um, unfocused energy is how I put it. Yeah. Makes me want to put down all my vices. Just, nah. Just, nah. <laughs> just yeah. don't, just don't, don't spin a web while you're under yeah. the influence. I want to say the, the marijuana one looks better than the normal one. So take that for what it's worth. <laughs> yeah. I can, I can throw in a little more science here, which actually is a little bit of a callback to the original question is, what are, are there things that are stretchy? Um, and spiders, I think this is probably better known than most, most of the things that I keep in my brain for some reason. Um, but spider webs, spider silk is incredibly strong. So ah. her area, it's stronger than stainless steel. Damn. It's just really thin. But the next time you see an orb web, so an orb web is the one that's the kind of classic spider web where it has, um, you know, cross crosses and then it goes around and around and around and around. 
So those, those cross strings, if you go up to one very gently, like with a toothpick or something, or a little piece of stick, if you, if you touch those straight pieces of silk, you'll find that they, um, they'll bend, um, but they kind of, they'll, they'll pull out and then they go right back and they pull out. So there's kind of, there's a little bit of toughness to them. Mm-hmm. But if you do the same thing to the ones that go round and round and round, you'll find they're incredibly stretchy and they'll just go way out and come back again. Wow. And it's two completely different kinds of silk. And the what's so cool about it is that those cross ones are strong enough to resist the momentum of a flying bug. But then as it struggles, it's there's also glue along the little the round and round ones. It'll get stuck and struggle, but those cross ones are so stretchy that they don't break, so it can't get away. So it's this really beautiful combination of, you know, how to really get a bug. Yeah. So it's yeah, wow. thin, stretchy steel that also is covered in glue. Uh, yeah, the the ones that go around also have Whoa. sticky stuff. And if you watch a spider, um, they walk very carefully when they're walking over those. They mostly walk on the straight ones, which, which are just strong. They're not gluey. They're not sticky. Got it. Okay. Wow. Fascinating. That's incredible. I had no idea there was that. Like, there's like a support structure and then the trap structure. Exactly. It's it's fantastic. Man, spiders yeah. are absolutely amazing. Man, I people have been trying for a long time to figure out how how silk does it, and to try to to use that knowledge to create something that's that's equivalent. Yeah, we got to change the like connotation of silk. When I think of silk. I'm not thinking impossibly strong. I'm thinking of like something Prince would wear. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So that's pretty cool. I wanted to talk about the chocolate also. Um, Professor Lupin Mm. keeps giving Harry Potter chocolate. And I thought this was going to like pay off somehow, but it doesn't. Right. I mean, did anybody catch the reason for this? Or was it just like a cute like, oh, have some chocolate. It'll calm you down. Because it happened like seven times feels like. Yeah, especially considering that I mean, you got to assume that as a as a canid, um, professor chocolate is perhaps poisonous to Professor Lupin. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah. Why does he have chocolate on him all the time? Jesus Christ! That's a very good not, question. Not to go back to the dog eating things well, but when my dog ate a plate of fudge, she had to get her stomach pumped. Oh I, no! Well, now that you mention it, the dog who can eat cream cheese without consequence one ate once ate two pounds of chocolate and had to have her stomach uh, emptied. Are you also Um, a a baker? Are you a pastry chef? I'm not. Both of these, well, no, no. Sorry, the cream cheese was at my house. No, the chocolate was at somebody else's house. And in fact, it was a a beloved box of chocolate that had been the last (laughs) gift of a relative who was no longer, I mean, it was was all around disaster. So yeah, that's great. That's I love that. Okay, so yeah, chocolate definitively bad for dogs. Uh, in this movie, a werewolf has a bunch of chocolate and is just handing it out. Um, yeah. But is there uh, scientific reasoning that chocolate will calm us down? Well, it's very interesting. So I I knew there was a lot of there was some controversy about whether chocolate is good for you or not. Okay, great. And the first thing I learned is that chocolate is bad for you. It's cocoa that may be good for you. Ah. And the difference is chocolate has sugar added. So when you eat chocolate, you're getting all the extra calories. But that's why the more, the higher the cocoa content, 
the closer it gets to being maybe healthy. To being maybe so healthy. Maybe time. healthy. Okay. <laughs> less, less unhealthy. What percentage are we talking about where it, it checks off the standard of uh, Dr. Danny's healthy food? It's above 70%. Okay. And so are okay. we talking like, because it's always dark chocolate that has, like, I don't see any. It's, it's absolutely dark chocolate. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. what I thought. So it's, you got to yeah. have 70% or higher dark chocolate. And then there is evidence that it's either healthy for you and or will calm you down. Uh, there is some evidence, but as I read these papers more carefully, there's a lot of, well, for example, um, chocolates, ch uh, cocoa does have something called flavonoids. Okay. And flavonoids are known to reduce blood pressure. Therefore, dot, 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 our hypothesis is that chocolate reduces blood pressure. Mm-hmm. Huh. Right? Okay. So it's a lot of the uh, hypothesis posing um, and not quite so much actually being able to test it. Um, some of the tests, I saw one... Uh, it was actually a paper about chocolate cravings. Why do people crave chocolate? Great question. And they that may have to do with, I mean, there's a lot of good things in cocoa. So I, ha I actually mm. made a list. There's- Oh, great. Because um, I, I love chocolate. There's flavonoids. Flavonoids are good for you. They, in theory, reduce your blood pressure. Antioxidants are really good for you. Um, mm. It uh, lowers the LDLs, the, the, the bad one, and it raises the HDL, which is good. Um, it improves your blood flow. All these things should happen because of the flavonoids wow. and the antioxidants. And um, it has magnesium and, okay, fiber, iron, magnesium, copper, manganese, potassium, phosphorus, zinc, and selenium. My Lord. And most of the fats in cocoa are the good ones. So the saturated and the monounsaturated. Um, and it doesn't have so much of the bad ones, which are the polyunsaturated. Okay. Um, and I'd be happy to tell you what that actually means because it's kind of cool. Yeah, um, I feel like Cheesecake Factory should like print this diatribe of yours like on the front of the menu. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, the chocolate cheesecake. Yeah. So it, when it has been tested, um, basically there was mild to no effect when they actually looked to see if blood pressure was going down oh, as a result of eating uh, cocoa. Is so that's not so So it's very cool the way it works because these carbons, um, if you're missing a carbon, you get a kink in this stack of carbons. And that kink makes it harder for the molecules to move around each other. So if you have a lot of kinks, if it's polyunsaturated, it, it can't move around so well. So it makes a solid. Whereas if it's saturated, these things are just upright and they can just move with respect to each other and you get a liquid. And that's why oils versus butter oils are good they're poly unsaturated uh, they're <laughs> they're saturated and uh butters are bad they are poly unsaturated ah okay are there do you have like a top five list of oils because i know certain oils are better than others right oh i there, there's only olive oil there's only olive Canola's oil good. i have a top two i have a top no three <laughs> olive oil no five uh ten <laughs> um <laughs> Um, Olive oil, peanut oil, sesame oil, <laughs> canola. Oh, great! And that's it. There's absolutely only four. Okay, okay. cool. T top four. That's wild. I did. Not, I had no idea that saturation, in terms of fat, referred to hydrogen. Yep. Clustering. Around. It's that's, the hydrogens on the carbons. Yep. 
Wow. Okay, well, whenever this comes up, I have to ask, right after the break, we're going to find out which sweet treats Danny and Ross prefer at night. (laughs) (laughs) The break is over. Here we go. Back to the show about science. Okay, so we're back, and I got to know what desserts y'all dig. Ross, what's your go-to? I mean, do you have a 70% or above dark chocolate in your cupboard at all times? I got to um I got to tell you I'm a cookies cakes and pies boy. I like I like <laughs> stuff that goes with coffee, okay? I'm a coffee fanatic. So yep. I like I like a nice ginger scone. I'm talking about like a nice um like a like a butterscotch scone, like a nice almond croissant. I like a baked good that is full of that butter that we just learned is so so bad for you. Yep. Yep. Also, I love how like typically somebody will say like I'm a brownie boy, but you are a cookies, cakes and pies boy. <laughs> yes. I don't discriminate, my man. <laughs> no, I all love that. All are welcome. All are welcome. I love that it's all under the umbrella of like things that probably go good with coffee. Yeah, yeah um, that's the that's that's the main feature. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely in that in that park as well. Super coffee snob uh, for the past few years, it's just overtaken me. Can't help it. Um, uh, Danny, what's your what's your go to? Well, cheesecakes in there, but um, my my absolute I have two absolute favorite cookies, oh, which um, actually in England you would call biscuits. The difference being that biscuits get soft when they go bad and cakes get hard when they go bad. Okay. Cookies get hard. That's the difference between a biscuit and a cookie <laughs> is what happens to them when they get bad. Does that mean that cookies are cakes to us in Britain? Um, biscuits are cookies. Okay. Their biscuits are our cookies. Their biscuits are our cookies. Uh, ah. what, do they, what is a cookie to them? I don't think they use the word cookie. Wow. They have cakes and biscuits. Okay, very interesting. Did not I, know this. I believe I this is I may be making this up completely, but yeah. <laughs> Okay, I hope not. But okay, so yeah, two favorite Why is why is this why yeah. is this section of everything we've talked about kind of like making my head turn inside out? <laughs> <laughs> the dessert section. Like this, yeah, the dessert section where we're talking about like wait, hold on. Wait, pause. Is a cookie not a biscuit? But what is a cookie, though, if a biscuit is a cookie? Yeah, yeah. it's like a and, weird and around, quantum physics this, question of, like, cookies don't yeah. exist anymore? This is, like, quite the 4 a.m. dorm room um, Really, my conundrum. mind is exploding. Yeah, we all shouldn't have smoked that blunt during the break. <laughs> I learned from the spider, man. I learned from the spider. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, but there's a British biscuit-making company called McVitie's. Okay. And their basic biscuit is just a very plain, um, what we would call vanilla cookie. And then it's just got a thin layer of dark chocolate on the top. Mm. And it's perfect. It's just exactly the right proportions. And the chocolate is exactly the perfect flavor. And so that's one of my go-tos. And the other one, Ross, you should know about this because I am happy to call it the very best thing ever dunked in coffee. Oh my lord! Oh my gosh! It, yes, I'm all yours. Yes, it's an Italian cookie called. They're called galetti, which is um, roosters, galetti, and uh, they're made mm. by a company called Molino Bianco. Um, and there, there is nothing quite as good dunked in coffee. Wow! So those are my, those are my uh, 
wouldn't want to live without oh, those are absolutely fantastic recommendations danny and i'm going to have to be <laughs> importing both of these now doctor you know i love any like little like shortbread cookie with something ornate stamped on it so <gasps> yes please, it has give a me all you got stamped on it yeah. oh lord i'm looking at it right now this rooster <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> just stamped on it the uh the pepperidge farm chess man the yep. uh oh. the girl scout trefoil all, all <laughs> line them up baby two thumbs up two thumbs up to all <laughs> okay fantastic i'm so glad we went down this uh pathway um i'm gonna be eating these later so okay i wanted to ask about the tree um i don't know if the tree has a name i don't think it does but there's this tree that like moves and actually attacks the kids at one point i i assume there's some sort of tree that does move or that has some sort of defense mechanism that maybe this reminded you of there's two things about this tree that are really cool okay and that that are somewhat reflective of reality so Great. First of all, in, there's a scene where you see it lose all of its leaves all at once. Yes. Ginkgo trees do that. And I know there are, there are um, college and university campuses that they'll have some special ginkgo and they'll do things like take bets on the day it's going to drop all its leaves. Wow. But it, no. it's an amazing thing. You go and stand under it when it's doing it and it's like it's snowing ginkgo leaves. Wow. Cool. It's, it's amazing. Yes. And for so, I don't think they know why. But all trees that lose their leaves, they create like a, uh, they separate their leaves slowly from the branch that they're attached to by creating kind of a scar sort of a thing. Mm. Um, it's just a hard place. And then when, um, when that's finished and there's wind or whatever, it falls. But most trees do it kind of at random times all over the tree. It's all mixed up. Ginkgos, for some reason, do it all at the same time. And so the day it gets cold enough, all the leaves fall at the same time. Wow. And ginkgo trees are very ancient. So I'm kind of wondering which came first, all at the same time or spreading it out over a whole season? Oh, I see what you're saying. So maybe they were yeah. the original uh, tree and everybody else just didn't get the memo. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it evolved into gradual change, whereas the ginkgo is just like all at once. New yeah. season, new me. Right, jump in. Yeah. Just jump right in. Wow. It's cool. like the haircut after a breakup. Just bang. New, new <laughs> exactly. me. Exactly. I'm a new person now. I have nothing to do with the old me. Yeah, that ginkgo is dead. <laughs> I am. It's dead to me. Yeah. Okay. Um, but the other thing is that there, um, I'm sure you've seen prayer plants and Venus fly traps, and there's all sorts of meat eating plants that are absolutely amazing. And I did a little research for, um, it was an editorial I wrote for a journal, but I, I looked at all the things that happen inside a Venus flytrap. Mm -hmm. And first of all, it's the same kind of signal as you, we use in our brains and muscles. They use action potentials. Um, is that a familiar term? I don't know. When, when you're watching, it's yeah, reminding me of being in water. school, but I don't know what it yeah, means. Exactly. It, yeah, exactly. The definition didn't come to me, but just, just like you, I think it was more like of a Proustian flashback to sitting in a science classroom <laughs> right. and staring off into space. <laughs> and I'm just writing down action potential. Okay. Yeah, right. Um, so, it's, you know, that little boop, 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 and it's like a little up and down and up again that you see going by in, in the hospital rooms. Oh, sure. It goes boop, boop. 
boop, 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 boop. That little up and down thing is an action potential. And what it's actually measuring is um, a change in voltage in your heart wow. as your heart beats. And well, plants do it exactly the same way. They have action potentials. Wow, without a heart, I, I imagine. Without, they have no heart, they have no brain, but they use action potentials to control these other systems that all participate in recognizing when something alive is walking around on the plant, those big red lobes it opens with the, with the sort of spines on the end. Mm -hmm. um, they have each one of those has three little hairs, three or four little hairs sticking up out from it. And if something dead lands on it, nothing happens. It, it knows not to close, quote unquote, Whoa, knows. it doesn't close. But if something alive lands on it and starts walking around and it hits one of those little hairs, and then it hits another one within 20 seconds. Oh it has my to be within lord. <laughs> okay. If it hits a second one, so it hits the first one and that sends an action potential, but nothing happens. If it hits a second one within 20 seconds, another action potential is sent and that action potential triggers cells at the hinge of those two things uh, to suddenly dump water and that snaps the thing closed. Wow. That is incredible. Okay. I now, know it, it's it, so complex. <laughs> yeah, it's like an advanced like Las Vegas casino security system. <laughs> well, I won't even go into the whole role of calcium and how the twenty second thing works, but it's it's really it's absolutely fantastic, and it just um, I, I really when I was studying this in a little more detail, I was ready to go become a plant biologist to it's study so Venus flytraps. These all these things that are like active but not conscious right yep. like it, yep. yeah you it, it just makes your your imagination fire on like if evolution continued along that path long enough would you end up with the harry potter tree uh, yeah mm -hmm. definitely mm -hmm. and and you yeah. said that they are meat eaters so what do they do yeah. with you know this this carcass i mean i assume they're not like chewing it up ah no well the next, it actually takes five of these action potentials. And it takes the first two to get it to slam shut. Then the next one kind of seals it around so that it now becomes a stomach. It becomes a sealed stomach that nothing can get out of. The next one after that triggers the cells on the inside of that to secrete digestive enzymes. It just turns those two leaves into a stomach. So it creates <laughs> oh, the enzyme in there and dissolves. Okay. And then there's um, there, there's a bunch of there's there's at least two other systems involved. But eventually, when the thing is all gone, um, it will be triggered to open up, and the carcass will fall out. Anything that didn't that wasn't digested will just fall out. Nature is murder. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Red in tooth and claw and leaf. Yes. yes. My God. Okay. That's it's fantastic. So, yeah. Fantastic slash terrifying. Um, <laughs> especially this like super cold moment where it just dumps out what it doesn't need. It just like <laughs> drops the carcass, I guess. That's like so uh, emotionless. Yeah. When you think yeah. of when you think of a pretty plant, you don't think of like a inexorable emotionless killing machine. But 
next time I, <laughs> next time I go to a garden. <laughs> yeah, watch out. Yeah. Um, but interestingly, they're all, the um, Venus flytraps are actually pretty small. Oh, really? You can like, yeah, I mean, they're like, I mean, they come in different sizes, but basically you can have one as a pet. Why would I do that? I've seen little Shapahars. I can't go down that road. Yeah, the thing's gonna get huge and eat me. <laughs> yeah, but that's, yeah, it's it's little Shapahars. I mean, I guess it would be a kind of a cool thing to have in in your home and just kind of study and see what it does. Yeah. And and I mean, I hate bugs, so that's a plus yeah. too. There you Wouldn't go. Okay, that's great. So I'm I'll, I'll I'll buy you both a Venus flytrap as a as a present for being on this show. I appreciate it. Ooh. Uh, McVitie's biscuits would be my first choice. <laughs> so it's McVitie's biscuits. So wait, but is it a cookie though? Like if it crosses <laughs> the border, okay. Um, <laughs> at what point does it turn into at what a cookie? Point? Oh, when it's over the Atlantic, it's like Schrodinger's cat. It's it's neither yeah. a cookie nor a biscuit. little identity um, crisis. It's like the newspaper in this movie. Like it kind of it'll change uh, depending where you're standing, I guess. And then like at some point, the word biscuit just suddenly changes into cookie. <laughs> yeah yeah definitely we were by the way talking about that a little bit before the pod um dr danny and you were saying that you looked into this like technology and were kind of terrified by the live feature on iphones like that that's where the research brought you is that right that's precisely what it made me think of yeah it's yeah right mm-hmm. um yeah i i um I know someone actually who helped develop that. And um, so I called him and I said, how does it work? Um, and he t- <laughs> the way it works is I thought it was, had, was doing some kind of really cool sensing where as your finger got close, it would start taking shots. And then, but it turns out the minute you turn on that feature, it immediately starts filming. So it's filming all along whenever that feature is on and it's dumping the old pictures as it goes along, but it's just on. So if you forget to turn it off, it's just filming everything you do. And that just gave me total creeps. I really yeah. was like, Yikes. that's freaky. Yeah, that's terrifying. Just when I think I've, I've learned the last frontier of how our privacy has been compromised by technology. Uh-huh. I, learned, I learned something new. Yeah. So it's not just Siri listening all the time or Alexa, or I'm not trying to pitch any brands here, by the way. Um, but, you know, they're not, it's not just that you have a machine that's listening all the time for its name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's recording. But all the I know time. I'm going to be yeah. getting a bunch of pop-up ads for Galetti over the course of the next two days because <laughs> of this. That's fine. But yeah, it also just struck me that how like kind of impractical the whole system is. It's like every newspaper photograph is like a is like a iPhone live shot. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's and like, surely not everything has to has to have full range of motion. There was also the like the font. If you look at the newspaper, it looks crazy. It looks so hard to read this newspaper. Like the way that the text is written, there's just like random words that are really big, and then everything else is small. It's wild. That's like in the comics where they they put random words in bold. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Well, I have to also just ask about the tea leaves. I know we're we're running short on time, but. You know, there's also like ghosts in this movie and I got to just, you know, and any sort of like spiritual weirdness, uh, Dr. Danny, do you do you think like, oh, yeah, maybe there's a chance? Nope. All right. 
<laughs> you want to talk about hippogriffs? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Is there? Do we have birds that big? Well, uh, not now, but I found out two um, very fun things about hippogriffs. Great. First of all, no horses could not fly, ever. Okay. And the reason is that sucks. the wings could never be big enough to lift the weight of the muscles it would take to flap the wings. Wow. Okay. Wouldn't have thought of that. That makes sure. sense. So that, yep. So that's a kind of cool thing. But my very favorite thing was um, neither horses nor birds can belch. <laughs> wow. Did not know that. That's so it is, it is truly a, yeah, a made-up monster. Damn. Damn. <laughs> so that, that's the thing that strains the verisimilitude the most. <laughs> well, yeah, what would you say is? Yeah, yeah. I, no, I, I'm with you. <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> now I just want to Google <laughs> lists of animals that can belch and animals that cannot. <laughs> <laughs> I need to know. All right. Well, I, I again, I, I really thank you both for being on the program, for watching Harry Potter 3, uh, The Prisoner of Azkaban. And uh, and yeah, I mean, we, we spoke earlier in the in the episode about where people can find, you know, Every Place I Cry and uh, and Improvised Shakespeare Company. But where can people find you specifically, Ross? And, and if there's anything you want people to check out, please let them know. I usually direct people to my Instagram, which is at Ross BB. If I'm doing something, I'll usually post about it there. And um, I, I don't know when this comes out, but if it comes out before July 31st, um, Improvised Shakespeare Company is doing our first live show in over a year in LA at the Ford Amphitheater on July 31st. Uh, and you can get tickets at the Ford Amphitheater's website. Um, and uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I got. Excellent. Okay. I will be there. Um, that sounds like a ton of fun. Dr. Danny Spencer Adams, what, uh, what, you got a research paper coming out we can read? Uh, um, hopefully soon. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at skin cells right now and I need some time to figure them out. Okay. Well, if you need but, any more samples. Uh, but we're getting there. I've, I'll <laughs> gladly cut off a bunch of my skin and send it to you. No problem. No fee. Yeah. No. F oh, hey. <laughs> I almost, almost have permission to work with human tissue, so, so don't. I won't forget that promise. Okay, good. Let me know, and um, and I'll talk to you uh, on the next Harry Potter movie. I don't know what it's called, but I'm sure we'll be uh, watching it together at some point. And Excellent. Uh, maybe we'll finally get to werewolves. Yeah, we can talk about werewolves. I hope. <laughs> um, but uh, but yes, yeah, thank you both, and uh, I'll talk to you later. Bye bye. Bad Science is a Seeker podcast produced by Emily Feld and me, Ethan Edinburgh. The executive producer is Brett Kushner, and our social media is managed by Blue Whale Media. And please leave us an iTunes review. Give us five stars. I sound like an Uber driver, but it does help. It makes sure people know about the podcast, which we really appreciate. Thanks for listening. Bye.